A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I was home alone for a bit, and someone knocked on my front door. I went to go check who it was. I was confused because I wasn't expecting anyone, and then nobody was there so I shut the door and locked it. I turned around and saw these two people with a ladder in my backyard attempting to go through the door to my porch. Thank God I was able to see them through the glass sliding door in my living room or else they might have actually entered my house. I was so scared oh my go anyways these people saw me looking at them and they left. In not even ten minutes a cop car showed up outside of my house on the street and was with these two people. To this day I have no idea what this was because the cop didn't talk to me, but yeah gave me trauma. A few years ago I lived in a two-bedroom apartment with my kids, who were eight and ten at the time. My kids slept in a bunk bed, and when we first moved in they would fight over who got the top bunk and my youngest usually won. Their room had a sliding glass door that led to our balcony, which overlooked some woods. They had thick blinds that were always closed at night, and nobody else shared the balcony with us. We also lived in a very safe, nice part of town with nice older neighbors. One night, I tucked my kids in for the night, read them a few stories, and they're falling asleep. 
I kiss them goodnight on their noggins and go to bed myself in the room right next to theirs. About an hour later, my youngest screams bloody murder and I hear a crash in their room. I jump up running into their room, thinking youngest must have somehow wiggled his way out of the top bunk. Sure enough, he's on the ground, head down and still screaming. I try to calm him down and ask if he's okay, thinking we definitely need to go to the ur. He looks up at me, grabs onto me and screams for me to take him out of there, so I go to the bathroom, which is right across the hall, and turn on all the lights to check him for injuries. Long story short, he's fine. Turns out he jumped from the top bunk and landed fine. I ask him why in the world he did that, and he finally blurts out to get away from the lady on the ceiling with the backwards head. My oldest was woken up by this point and was super annoyed at little bro and told him there was nothing to be afraid of. I finally calm him down, but from that night forward he absolutely refused to sleep in that room and insisted on going to bed with me, which I was okay with, but I did try to talk him into sleeping in his own comfy bed. Older bro even offered to let him take the bottom bunk permanently, but he wouldn't budge. A month goes by, and my eldest still sleeps on the top bunk. One night, he wakes us up by jumping off the top bunk and rushing into my bedroom and jumping in the bed with me and little bro. I ask him what's up, and he refuses to talk about it. I figure he must have watched a scary video or something that he shouldn't have at his cousin's house earlier, and just pat him on the back and tell him everything is okay and he's safe with me. So, all three of us guys are sleeping in my bed every night and I try my best to get them to go back to bed in their bunks, and even go so far as to buy them cool tents that go over the tops of their beds with flashlights and comics. They love them and spend their time in there, but only while it's still light outside. I even buy them two pet mice with a nice big cage, thinking that having other living creatures in the room with them would be comforting. They love animals, but it doesn't work. My oldest finally tells me he saw a shadow crawling on the ceiling that looked like a woman with long black hair. He said that he was woken up by a flashing white light and thought his brother was turning his flashlight on and off and on again, but when he looked closer it was coming from the closet and he saw the black figure crawling on the ceiling and noped out of there. I was like, great, two kids who are scared of a monster in the closet. I talked to other parents and my ex and we all tried to reassure them that they were safe and there's no such thing as monsters. My ex and I were about to take them to a therapist. We were concerned there might be something more going on with them. Well, a few nights later, on a Friday night or Saturday morning around 3 a.m., the boys are asleep in my bed, oldest in the middle, youngest on the far left next to my bedroom window, and I was on the far right, facing the open bedroom door. Normally we would close the bedroom door, but we had just had an epic Nerf gun fight before going to bed, and all the doors were open. It was a great night. Anyway, I'm laying in bed snoring when I suddenly wake up. I open my eyes, and as they're trying to focus, I notice a white, flashing light reflecting on the wall outside my bedroom. I think it must be one of their flashlights losing its battery power or something and debate on whether I really want to get out of bed and turn it off or just roll over and ignore it when I see the source of the light is slowly moving down the hall, getting closer to my bedroom door. I immediately thought intruder and quietly got out of bed and crept towards the doorway, trying to see what was going on. I peek out into the hallway and the light is flashing close to the ground from my kid's room. I don't hear footsteps, nothing. I look in their room and the light stops. 
I'm freaked out so I flip on the light switch and see nothing. Mice are chilling, nothing out of place, and I went over their entire floor looking for the source of that light and found nothing. We ended up moving out a couple of months later, and the boys got separate bedrooms and weren't afraid anymore. My oldest is 15 now, and I told him this story back in January, and he turned white as a ghost, went silent and just stared at me. I was like, what's the matter, kid? He looked me dead in the eyes and said, you're lucky you didn't look up. I sneaked out of the house after my mother went to sleep one night around midnight to meet up with some friends. I walked down the road in front of a country store, where I would be picked up by friends in a small rural town of which I lived in. After an hour and no text back from my friends, I realized they had ditched me. So I started to ascend into the darkness of the night and walked down a 45 miles per hour back road that lead to my home. After turning my back for a minute, I began to see headlights casting behind me. I noticed they were driving really slow, like 10 miles per hour right behind me. I was a small teenage girl, so I started running as fast as I could. I was only a five-minute walk away from my home when I saw the car pacing behind me slowly speeding up. The road is 45 miles per hour, and the car was traveling about 15 or 14 miles per hour. When I was on the side of the road running, I lost my footing and fell into a deep road ditch. I closed my eyes, took a long breathe, and screamed. The car slammed its brakes and then floored the gas pedal the second I screamed. My hand was covered in blood from the jagged rocks I landed on. Then I continued my walk and never talked about it. A year later I realized that there was a small neighborhood directly located across the street. I believe the car missed its opportunity. Be safe and always tell someone where you are. At all times, my family and friends would have never seen me again and I would have been less than a mile from my own home. Edit. Chances are I wouldn't have been found due to the fact my parents at that time had called me in as a runaway several times. The police would much rather assume that your child isn't missing and that they ran away instead. They won't investigate until it's far too late, and most evidence would be gone. This is common in many cold cases where police don't take families serious when their child is missing once they've been labeled as a runaway. I had a home life filled with domestic violence, verbal abuse, and other forms. I have run away to even avoid beatings. I believe parents should be investigated when children run away. A few months ago, I was home alone at around 3 p.m., sitting in my living room watching TV. I hear a knock on my door and I go to my bedroom to look out the window. My bedroom window looks out to the front door, and I can see out but people outside can't see in. I'm looking around and I see a dude dressed in a suit even though it's like 90 degrees outside and he's backed up about 10 feet from my front door, huge smile on his face, just waving. He stands there and waves with that creepy smile on his face for 30-45 seconds before walking away. He doesn't get in a car, just walks down the street to God knows where. This was a little off-putting to me, and I was a little freaked out since I was alone, but I just go back to watching TV. Almost exactly three hours later, at 6 p.m., he knocks on the door, backs up, and just waves. Then again, three hours later at 9 p.m., he does the same. Every time I just ignored him, but I was debating either calling the police or opening the door with my metal bat in hand and telling him to F off. 
I was wondering if he would come again at midnight, but he didn't, thank God. I don't know what this dude was up to, but it was weird nonetheless. I was homesick from school in 8th grade and saw these two men in my backyard on our back patio. Our yard was fenced in and so I knew they had to have opened the fence to get in. I hid in a closet and called my dad to see if anyone was expected to be at the house. He said no and so I think then I slowly went to check what was going on. I peered into the kitchen and they were right up to the kitchen window, oh my god so scary. Being that close up meant they had to go through some shrubs in front of the windows. So I hit again and called 911. Two cops arrived and accused me of basically a false alarm. More than that, they said, we heard a male voice coming from inside while we were checking the backyard. I said it must be the TV, but by all means come in and check for themselves. They were very rude and there I was terrified and had called them for help. Later in the day, I told my family what happened. My brother was pissed and called the police department to complain. Turned out that while the cops were leaving my street, they saw the two guys who fit my description. The two men were surveying the land in the neighborhood. The cops easily could have let me know. Between 2008-2011, I used to struggle with fairly frequent sleep paralysis. I often had auditory hallucinations of tree branches and leaves cracking and thrashing in the wind during these episodes. I sought a sleep clinic, and they did assist me in reducing the frequency and severity of hallucinations or episodes. But I will never forget Mr. Jones. Throughout my time in university residence, through a few rooms in a townhouse, I always had a closet visible to me from my bed. Around early 2009, before I had sought sleep clinic assistance, my auditory hallucinations had grown to audiovisual, with a man emerging slowly from my closet. His hands, eyes, and chest sprouted large dead tree limbs that terminated in dozens of spindly branches. I could always hear him first before he emerged. He never did get close to me, and usually I was able to disengage from my hallucination around the same time each episode, but this tree being haunted me for years. Finally, after significant efforts of a therapist and a sleep clinic, I was able to halt the sleep paralysis. Cue to Vanity 13. A bad movie comes out. Mr. Jones. I'm up late, scrolling Netflix, and on a stark red and black background is that goddamn tree man. The movie poster was an almost picture-perfect version of Mr. Jones, a full two years after my sleep paralysis stopped. It's silly and obviously coincidental, but seeing that damn silhouette after the torment I felt, and after so much time shook my foundations a bit. I haven't seen or heard Mr. S Jones since, but I still recall that terror. So this happened to me a few years ago in April, and I still can't shake off how terrifying and strange it was. So I was home alone, getting ready for my 12 college class that morning, and I opened my blinds to let some natural light in. I glanced out my window to see a man in his mid-thirties wearing a baseball cap roaming around my property with his hands on his hips, walking with a lot of weird confidence. Our yard is kind of like a cliff, and it looks over onto our five acres of property down below. I live in the PNW so it's a pretty scenic view. I was really confused and thought maybe it was a worker that my mom had hired for our renovations on the house, admiring the view. 
I'm a little bit uncomfortable at this point cause the dude walks to the side of my house out of sight. I head upstairs to see him now roaming around my front yard and my driveway, looking at things, checking out my house, etc. He still hasn't seen me at this point. I call my dad and ask him if we have hired anyone to come by the house, and he says not that he knows of and tells me he's going to call my mom and ask her, and then call me back. I'm waiting for the call when I notice this strange dude's car. It's a white Honda with no license plates, just parked parallel to my front door. The man still hasn't seen me, and he's still wandering around, so I take this as an opportunity to remember that we have a security system, and I armed it, so if he did try to break in, it would immediately alert the police. If this was some sort of professional or worker, he would have rang my doorbell or knocked at least once. He did neither. Just then I get a call back from my dad saying neither him or my mom hired anyone to come by today, and that I need to call our local police station immediately. I went back downstairs after making sure to lock every door and window upstairs and called my city's police station. I explained to a woman on the other end what is happening, and she decides that she's not going to send an officer out, and instead gives me a number to call their emergency dispatch line, and told me to talk to them. I call the number she gave me, and immediately I get an automated message saying, Thank you for calling my town's name non-emergency hotline. Nobody is available to take your call right now. If this is an emergency, please hang up and dial 911. At this point, I'm really irritated cause 15 minutes has passed, and thus weird dude is still lurking around my house while I'm home alone, and apparently that wasn't enough to warrant an emergency to the lady I called at my local police department. I hung up and decided to call 911. After getting in touch with the 911 operator, I was asked a series of questions about his appearance before they would even alert officers near me to start heading toward my house. The whole thing seemed really weird. Nobody was in a hurry to have officers come up to my place when I was a younger girl home alone with a strange man. I asked the officer if I could stay on the line with her when she finally, after what seemed like forever, alerted police to come to where I was, she agreed and I went back upstairs to check on the weird guy, and he's now sitting in his unplated Honda, either listening to a radio show extremely loudly, or on a phone call with someone through his car. It was a very prominent loud male voice coming from his car. Then all of a sudden I hear the tone you hear when someone hangs up on you, and the operator was no longer on the line. I was really confused when my thoughts were interrupted by an unrecognized phone number calling me, I assumed it was the operator calling me back, so I picked it up. Instead, I was greeted by really creepy heavy breathing. I'm not sure whose it was, but it really freaked me out. I hung up immediately and dialed back 911. I had been pretty calm up to this point, but that phone call put me in panic mode. I got on the phone with another operator who already knew my situation and address before I even could explain it to her. She said the cops were on her way. Twenty minutes had passed at this point. The dude is still here in his car, and the cops aren't. Keep in mind I live in a smaller town, so there is no reason why it took the cops as long as it did to come down. Finally, this guy is leaving my driveway right as the cops pull in, and they stop him and ask him a few questions. A cop then comes to my door and hands me a sketchy-looking flyer saying, It was just a landscaper. He said he had an appointment. I was really relieved and irritated that it was just a dude my mom had hired until I realized it wasn't. I called my mom back and said, the cops said it was just a landscaper that you hired, 
and that he had an appointment. My mom replies with, I can assure you we never hired a landscaper. We don't even need one. I was catching the tram home from the city late one Friday and was sitting down the back end of the tram with a bunch of people with headphones in and a group of rowdy teens. This disheveled older guy got on the tram and was just standing near the back doors and staring at one of the teens. So the kids start harassing the guy, trying to get him to react, and he just dead stares them down not giving them anything but creepy vibes. The atmosphere is pretty tense and some of the other passengers start moving up the other end of the tram. But I'm an idiot who is like the dog in a house on fire meme, all this is fine. Eventually the kids get to their stop and get off, but keep hassling this guy through the closing doors, and he's getting worked up at this point, but not really making any moves, just getting real agitated. As the tram is leaving, he runs up to the closed doors and starts pounding them and yelling at the kids, then just turns back around and settles down a bit. Nobody does anything. That's when the guy starts staring at me. Now, by this time, it's just me and like one other passenger left at this end of the tram with this guy. But there's still plenty of people paying attention to what's going on from the other end, so I am feeling okay about that, but quite creeped. My stop is pretty far down the line, and I'm trying to ignore this dude staring at me while noticing that the tram is getting pretty empty with every stop. I'm freaking out, but I can't move because I don't want to rock the boat, you know I have since learned to rock the boat lol. Eventually my stop comes up and I get up to get off. It's dark, I live in the burbs so it's quiet, there's no one around at my stop, and it's a ten men walk to my place. I am praying that someone is getting off at my stop so I am not alone, anyone but this guy. I have to walk past him to get off the tram, and he is still staring at me. It's been like fifteen minutes now. As I'm stepping off the tram I turn to see if he's following me, and he doesn't. T seemed to be getting off the tram. Few huge sigh of relief. The doors start closing and I start walking fast. The tram shoots past me and I turn around just to make sure I'm alone and who do I see standing at the dark ass tram stop? Ya boy, the scary stare guy. I piss my pants and start running. I have scissors in my bag and I'm trying to reach them while sprinting home and hoping this guy is slower than me. I can hear him but he's not super close. I round my corner and I can't see him behind me, so I duck into my yard and go through the back door. My housemates are at home and I am really scared now, so I turn out all the lights in the house and make sure all the doors are locked and creep to the front. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
front window to see if he came down my street. For the next 15 or 20 minutes, I watched the guy walk up and down my street, looking for me, I guess, or maybe just lost. I don't know, man. I sure as hell just stared out through my curtains, hoping he wouldn't come up to my house or go to anyone else. Eventually, he is just gone. I assume he just gave up. I was young and didn't know what to do, and didn't sleep a wink that night. Still scares me thinking about it, to be honest. On a foggy and cold night, I was awakened from my sleep by the flashing lights of police cars and the crackling sounds of their radios outside our door. Several vehicles and people had filled the street. Looking out the window, I saw a gathering of people in our neighbor's yard. It was the home of Mr. and Mrs. Bales, our elderly neighbors. What had happened, I wondered. I threw on some clothes and went outside. My family was already out there, talking to the police. When I approached, an officer asked if I had seen anything. I was asleep, I said. My family was clueless, and the police weren't disclosing any information. The crowded group of police officers took photos and gathered evidence. Later, they lifted a body bag onto a stretcher. As the stretcher was being moved towards a vehicle, a shiver ran down my spine. I could swear it moved. Once the commotion settled, only a few police officers talking to the neighbors and their cars remained. The chaos had dispersed, but the mystery it left behind deepened. Returning home with my family, my father mentioned that the deceased was Mrs. Bales. I was shocked. What about Mr. Bales? I asked. He hadn't been found. There was no trace of him. Suspicions arose that he might have been kidnapped. According to the police's theory, the elderly couple was targeted for abduction and a struggle ensued between Mrs. Bales and the culprits. During breakfast, as we discussed all of this, I could sense the fear and stress my family was under. It was understandable, given that all these events took place in the house right across from ours. At school that day, I felt like a ghost. The only thing on my mind was what I had seen and heard that night. They were such a sweet elderly couple. Good people. I'm sure they never harmed anyone. They lived modestly and kindly. I couldn't wrap my head around what had happened to this humble and loving couple. In the following days, we anxiously waited for any news of the culprits being caught, but there was none. It was as if they had vanished into thin air, along with Mr. Bales. However, over the next few days, we started hearing noises inside the house. My father, thinking it might be a rat or something similar, filled the basement and secluded parts of the house with traps and poisons. But I knew it wasn't a rat or anything like it. I was afraid to talk to my family about the silhouette I had seen two nights in a row, standing across the road in the very yard where Mrs. Bales was killed. First time I saw it, I thought it might have been a police officer. But no, it just stood there, seemingly staring into my eyes. I was frightened and couldn't bring myself to talk to my family. And even if I did, I doubted they would take it seriously and would dismiss it as stress-related. I was afraid to move around the house, thinking that thing, that silhouette, was wandering inside. I tried not to dwell on it. But at night, whenever I looked out the window, the silhouette was there, still observing me. Three days in, there was still no progress on the case. As night fell, I was once again sitting in my room, filled with fear. Suddenly, a sound shook the entire house. I rushed out of my room screaming. My parents were awake, rushing towards my room. My mother hugged me, and behind my father, 
We cautiously searched the whole house. The arrival of the police didn't take long. My mother, already on edge, had already contacted them. The officers checked the house. There was no one. Nothing was broken or misplaced. Everything was in its place. One area remained unchecked. Our basement. When we went down to the basement, we were horrified. All the traps for rodents were smashed and scattered around. Food from the shelves we used as a pantry was spilling out. The boxes of food had been opened and toppled. The lock on the pantry's entrance was broken. As we tried to recover from the shock, the police finished their check and my father changed the lock. We locked all the doors and secured the windows. Someone had gotten in. Maybe a hungry homeless person. The police mentioned they had received reports of a few more houses being invaded. We were in a state of panic. In our supposedly safe neighborhood, even around our house, homeless people, criminals, and kidnappers were freely roaming. One even entered our house. After the murder in the house across from us, these events terrified us. It took my father several hours to convince us that the house was now safe. I still couldn't bring myself to mention the silhouette I'd seen. I didn't want to scare my mother further, and I still couldn't believe what I had seen. I was convinced I was losing my mind and was terrified. We headed to our rooms. I glanced out the window again. It was still there. I was frozen. This time, it wasn't just standing. It had raised its arm and was pointing at me. I felt like I was going to faint from fear. As I took a step back to move away from the window, I bumped into something. I began to tremble. Was it my mother? My father? The homeless person that got into our pantry? No. Adrenaline hit me hard. It was Mr. Bales. With his contorted and emaciated body, he stood before me. He looked like a creature emerged from a swamp, covered in filth and blood. My eyes widened. When I noticed the knife in his hand, I knew I had to run. But he was holding on to my arm so tight, I thought it might tear off. Suddenly, he took a deep breath and swung the knife towards me. With a sudden surge of adrenaline, I pushed Mr. Spales away. As he fell to the ground, his knife cut my arm. I screamed and ran out of my room towards my parents' room. They had heard the scream and were already coming towards me. Mr. Bales also ran out of the room after me, aiming to catch me. But my father was prepared. He fired his gun twice. I never saw that silhouette again. I believe it was Mrs. Bales and that she was trying to warn me. When I was a kid, well, a young teenager, I frequently spent my Saturday nights babysitting my siblings. As the eldest of three, I assumed this responsibility with no pay nor thanks to speak of. It was simply expected of me, one of my contributions to the family. I babysat so frequently because, well, my parents needed it. They'd had marriage problems in the past, and their counselor told them they should go on a weekly date, you know, revive the magic, rekindle the flame, all that good stuff. Yeah, it sucked to be robbed of a weekend evening, but it wasn't much of a burden. My parents were happier than they'd been in ages, and they both seemed genuinely excited for date night each week. I would have rather been doing other things, of course, but I'd seen my aunt and uncle go through a nasty divorce a few years back, and I desperately wanted my parents to stick together. And so it was that on the night of December 3rd, in the year 2006, I stood at the open front door of my secluded Colorado home, waving goodbye as my parents backed out of the icy driveway. Drive safe, I called out, 
steam pouring from my mouth. I don't know if they heard me or not. Wrapping my arms around my torso in response to the wintry mountain air, I entertained myself for a few brief moments by exhaling forcefully and watching my breath float away into nothing. And there was truly nothing around me, not a car or a creature in sight. It wasn't long before I grew bored and turned back into the warm house, nose tingling from the chill. Georgie and Kate were eating their dinner at the kitchen table. As I watched them, I couldn't help feeling like an only child. Georgie, three years my junior, was severely autistic and not talkative. He only spoke when he really wanted something, and only then in the simplest of words. Milk and sandwich was code for peanut butter and jelly with a crust cut off, which he was presently devouring. Kate, meanwhile, was still a baby, just shy of two. The nine-year gap between them is glaring, but to this day, my parents swear to me Kate wasn't an accident. Kind of like back in high school, when I swore to them I had no idea how those magazines got under my mattress. But I digress. The kids finished dinner, and I set them up with their entertainment for the night. Georgie in his room with the PlayStation 2, which was a hot commodity in those days, and Kate in her crib in front of Sesame Street. Myself, I ignited the basement fireplace, dimmed the overheads, and curled up with a book by the light of our Christmas tree. God, that was a nice house. Not a day goes by that I don't miss it. I read, in perfect contentment, for nearly an hour. Night had fallen by then, and the room had become toasty. I was beginning to doze off when I heard Georgie's heavy footfalls descending the staircase. I sat upright and looked at him expectantly as he waddled into the room. No more knocking, he said, brow furrowed in annoyance. I shook my head. I'm not knocking, I said. Is someone at the door? Georgie just stared at me blankly. Georgie, I said, more clearly this time, did someone knock on the door? No more knocking, he repeated. Knocking on window. Knocking on window. I stood up, now wide awake. Georgie, is someone knocking on your window? No more, he replied simply. I stood in silence for a moment, unsure of what to do. It was probably just one of my friends playing a prank, I thought. But being alone in a house that big makes you a little jumpy. My mind started to race through the situation. I was a 13-year-old boy in a nice house on the hilly outskirts of a Colorado mountain town. The streets were engulfed in trees, and there were no homes within a quarter mile of my own. Our road saw next to no traffic, and the police station was a good 15 minutes away. It was probably my friends, I thought, but what if it wasn't? Follow me, I told Georgie. Hand trembling slightly, I turned the knob and glanced up the staircase. It was dark up there. The only light came from Kate's room. Kate. I sprinted up the stairs to her room, where she remained happily perched in her crib, squawking with delight as Elmo fiddled with his crayons. I breathed a sigh of relief, but still, my heart thumped in my chest. This is silly, I told myself. Be a man. I made my way down the hall to Georgie's room and stood tentatively at its door. Taking a deep breath, I gently pushed the door ajar, reaching for the light switch and thinking better of it. If this was the worst-case scenario, then I didn't want our mystery intruder to know where in the house I was. The only light in the room came from Star Wars. Battlefront's game paused screen. I listened for a moment, but heard nothing. I began to suspect that Georgie had simply imagined the knocking. Somewhat exasperatedly, I moved to the window and flicked up a blind to reveal nothing. 
just the landscape of freshly fallen snow backed by a quiet, lonely road. I watched the peaceful night, relieved as the large flakes fell softly to the ground, my eyes trailing an individual fractal all the way to the footprints just beneath the window's frame. At first I did not comprehend them. I just stared, transfixed, at the deep imprints in the snow. Shoes. A man's shoes. None of my friends wore the size of that I felt sure. I traced them backwards from the window to the sidewalk, from whence this intruder had evidently come. But where did they lead? It was a bright night. The moon shone proudly between the clouds. My eyes followed the steps across the front yard, but once they passed behind the giant pine, they disappeared. My heart leapt to my throat. Whoever had walked behind that tree was still there. In panic, I quickly backed away from the window. Georgie, sensing my fear, began to whimper. No, 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 S-H-H-H-H-H. I muttered, desperate to keep them quiet. I flicked the television off and led Georgie out of the room. I quickly pulled Kate from her crib, powered her TV down as well, and carried her down the stairs in the blackness. Can't see, Georgie said, and Kate began to cry. I shushed her hurriedly as we descended. Once in the basement den, I unplugged the Christmas tree so that the only light in the room came from the embers of the dying fire. I sat Georgie down on the couch and settled Kate in his arms. Sit right here, I directed, staring into his eyes. Don't move, do you understand? Do not move. I need to call the police. I would have called my parents, but this was ten years ago, and they didn't have cell phones. So I took the stairs quickly and quietly, tiptoeing to the phone hanging from the wall of our living room. I picked up the phone and dialed 911, but I heard nothing. Silence. I slammed it on the receiver and picked it up again. Again, nothing. I think it was around this point that I started to cry. I couldn't help it. I was scared. I tried to calm myself down, telling myself that the storm had killed the phone line, but there wasn't much of a storm. The snow was steady, sure, but there wasn't even a breeze. Certainly nothing that could have disabled our phone. Tentatively, I walked into Kate's room and peeked out the window. My first glance was toward the tree, of course, where the footprints stopped, but now they continued. Sometime while I was herding my siblings downstairs, whoever was behind the tree had moved. I followed the footsteps across my frozen front yard to a man standing near the driveway. He was looking right at me. My breath stopped. I was frozen in place. This was not one of my friends. I had never seen this man before, but he was looking at me with an eerie blankness. He was wearing a black turtleneck and black slacks, a lone dark spot on a blanket of purest white. My eyes never left him, and his never left me. We stood still, silently staring, for what seemed like an eternity. My heart thrummed in my chest, and I felt nauseous. For the first time, gazing into this man's eyes from afar, I began to consider the possibility of my death. I thought of my dad's brother, who was killed in an accident at age eleven. Forever eleven never growing up. Frozen in time, in the memories of all who knew him, as a soul of eternal youth. At this, the tears flowed freely once more. Please don't hurt us, I begged in a sobbing whisper. I knew he could not hear me, but I could not help myself. Finally, he broke eye contact with me and looked toward the heavens, toward the gently falling snow. He was saying something, but what I could not hear. I stared, transfixed, as he pulled a handful of dark powder from his pocket, then, still gazing upward, still muttering to himself, he flung the stuff at his feet. 
I desperately wanted to run to get my siblings, but I thought that to let this man out of my sight would be unconscionably foolish. No, better to keep an eye on him. The house was still locked. I had the upper hand, I felt. Besides, I could not bring myself to look away from the strange ritual unfolding before me. The man had removed his sweater and flung it carelessly to the ground behind him. He was no longer staring skyward, but his lips continued to move. I trained my eyes intently upon his mouth, trying with no success to read his words, when I saw something glint in the moonlight. It was a knife a long, callous blade which he had removed from his other pocket. It bore dark stains already. From what? I covered my mouth to hush a scream as the man, still muttering to himself, ran the edge of the blade along his pale, distended stomach. A thin red line appeared along his abdomen, and blood of the deepest shade began to dribble from the wound. The streams trickled down his belly and fell ungracefully upon the black powder at his feet. At this, the man stared skyward once more, face contorted in a gruesome smile. He was sobbing uncontrollably, and mucus ran freely from his nostrils, but he looked happy, beyond happy elated. My stomach churned in revulsion. This man was in ecstasy. I watched, almost entranced by this bizarre unfolding, when the man's face changed suddenly. He looked directly at me once more, and his eyes appeared unhinged. Still clutching the knife, he began to sprint directly at my window. I took one look at the weapon this man brandished and instinctively fled the room. I slammed the door shut behind me, and was halfway down the stairs when I heard the window shatter. The man screamed, loudly in pain, as I reached the basement. I locked the door behind me, and ran to Georgie and Kate. No more screaming, Georgie pleaded. No, no more screaming, I agreed in hushed tones, stroking his hair in an effort to calm him down. Kate, meanwhile, seemed happy as a clam. I strained, listening intently. Is he inside the house? I still clung to some naive hope that he had injured himself on the glass and had retreated, or perhaps he had been weakened by his self-inflicted wound. Finally, I heard it the subtle but unmistakable sound of footsteps upstairs. He was indeed inside the house, and by the sound of it, was trying to be quiet. I silently guided Georgie and Kate into a storage closet and closed the door behind us, manipulating the handle to make as little noise as possible. We stayed there for about five minutes, listening to the ceiling creak threateningly above us. Then, I realized I don't know why it took me so long that we were not trapped. We still had a way out. I saw in my mind's eye a window well and the bathroom down the hall, the only access our basement had to the outside world. Almost as if on cue, a frustrated scream echoed from above, followed by a tremendous crash. He had pulled something to the ground, perhaps the entertainment stand, or maybe the hutch. He's here, the man shrieked hysterically. How dare you hide from him? To this day, I don't know who he was talking about. But it was at that moment, the moment I heard him begin to descend the stairs, that I made my move. Holding Kate in one arm and guiding Georgie with the other, we began our flight down the hallway. As we reached the bathroom, I stared fixedly at the window near the ceiling. It would be a tight fit, but we could make it. I flung the window open, stood on the toilet, and placed Kate gently in the shallow window well. Then I stepped off and told Georgie to get on. Yucky gross, no standing on toilet, he said, looking embarrassed. I heard the man fumble with the locked handle at the base of the stairs. Time was running out. I'm not proud of what I did next, but it was the only way I could think of to get Georgie to cooperate. 
I smacked my brother roughly across the face and grabbed him by the shirt with both hands. Georgie, get on the toilet, I snarled at him, the first time I had ever said that word. He began to wail in pain and surprise, but he did step onto the toilet all the same. Climb out the window, I directed in a harsh tone, and as he grabbed the ledge, I used all the strength I could muster to help push him up. Once, he almost slipped back down almost, but he was stronger than I thought he was, and managed to pull himself back. 